may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Kenley. Beautiful singing. It's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you so much for your presence. We're so very glad to have those of you who are visiting with us this morning, as well as those who are joining us online. When I uh, served at the Oldham Lane congregation in Abilene, uh, one of the elders I was close to was Ryan's dad, Larry Bell. He served as an elder for a long time, and before that, as a deacon. Larry and his wife, uh, Ryan's mom, Danette, uh, were at the Baker Heights congregation in Abilene, and then uh, Baker Heights planted Oldham Lane in the far south side. There was nothing out there at the time. Now there's neighborhoods and uh, all kinds of a school down there and everything. There was nothing out there at that time when that congregation was planted. And during those early days, Larry was already a deacon at Baker Heights, and he was one of the group that was selected to go over to uh, Oldham Lane to help get this new work off the ground. And he and the other deacons and, and other members, those who were there, they all had to work really hard and do a number of things just to get the work done. And I, I remember when he first told me that story, and we've talked about that a few times over the years, and it always meant a lot to me because Oldham Lane started with this great pioneering spirit, this work ethic of uh, what Larry said is we all were young marrieds, we had jobs, we had little kids, but we had five things to do each, and we just had to get it done. We had to find a way to get the things done that needed to be done to get this new work off the ground. To make it work. And uh, many of those early deacons later became elders and continued that same uh, spirit of get your hands to the plow, so to speak, get your hands dirty and work and serve. And they laid a foundation for service and uh, hard work and a sense of responsibility in the congregation that uh, really is still there to this day. But I remember in talking with Larry about that over the years and in my role as the involvement minister, and uh, he, he and I worked together on a lot of things, uh, he would say that, you know, it's funny that uh, as the church grew, as the congregation grew, and you had more and more people that could do more and more things, and while there's many wonderful servants there at the Oldham Lane congregation, sometimes there was still times when we found it hard to find somebody to do a certain thing, to get things done. We still would feel, no matter what the size, it's the same for any congregation, regardless of size, sometimes you feel like, well, I can't find anyone to do this. I need somebody to raise their hand and volunteer. I need somebody to agree to help serve in this area. And so they laid this foundation that, unfortunately, doesn't always, that same spirit doesn't always pass on to everybody. And Larry would say, you know, not everybody has that same sense of responsibility to, uh, to serve and uh, to help out, to pitch in in different areas in the church. But what Larry and those deacons and their wives and those members during those days who, and those who later became elders, what they showed us was how to serve. And they set forth that pattern, that example uh, of service in the Lord's church. And as a deacon, that's, that's exactly what they were because a deacon is a designated servant in the church. 
One author described a deacon's role as assisting the elders with the care of God's church. They're appointed by the elders to serve in key roles within that congregation. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about faithful deacons, faithful deacons. And we've been looking at uh, uh, false teachers or unfaithful teachers, faithful worship, faithful elders, faithful ministers. We're looking at faithful deacons today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. In Acts 6 is when we see the first time we get a glimpse of these designated servants being appointed to a task, to a role. When the church was growing at that time in the first century, the church was new, as Matt talked about in class this morning. And, and as the numbers grew and all kinds of different people were coming in, then that means the needs grow. And so one of the things that happened unintentionally, nobody meant for it to happen, but the Greek-speaking uh, widows were getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food and clothing and whatever the needs were because they, they took care of one another. That's a characteristic uh, of a healthy church is a care for one another. And so for whatever reason, mainly because of this language barrier, it seems the rest of them predominantly spoke Aramaic and, and these Greek-speaking Jewish widows were getting left out of their daily being cared for and their daily needs. And, and nobody meant for it to happen, but what happens as soon as it's brought to the attention of the apostles? That's what we want to look at. Look at verses 2 through 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples together and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what did the apostles do as soon as the need was brought to their attention, as soon as they found out that there's an issue, there's a need, there's someone that needs to be cared for, what did they do? They appointed some designated servants. You go take care of that need. You make sure they're taken care of. You do what you need to do to look after those ladies. As soon as they were made aware of the problem, they took action. They never meant for this to happen, but when it did, as pro you don't mean for problems to happen, but when they do, what, how, do you go, how are you going to respond to them? And we see in the church that they appointed servants to take care. Why? Because they knew, the, the apostles knew, they, they knew they could go do that. But they said, we've got, to, we've got roles we've got to play here. And the apostles said, we've got to focus on preaching and prayer. That, that's, that's our job. And there's all these people here. They can do something. They need things to do. So they designated some men to go and do that. Now, the men aren't referred to specifically as deacons here. But the text does tell us that uh, we should not give up preaching the word of God to serve, that's that word, serve, uh, tables. In other words, they needed some people to go serve, and that's what they appointed them to do. And they appointed them to a duty, to a task. Now that Greek word, diakonos, is here in the text. It's just talking about what they were going to go do instead of the designated name. 
But that word for deacon, we say deacon in the English, the word diakonos means servant or deacon or, or minister. It's all the same in the New Testament. And so uh, sometimes you'll see it used different ways and what you have to look at, well, what's the context? And that helps you understand uh, what they're talking about. So the apostles said they needed someone to serve tables and they appointed men to serve. That's where you get deacons from. That's where we see that emerge in the New Testament church. Now, do you notice what their qualifications were? They, they, didn't, they didn't ask, hey, who's good at event planning? Who can, who can, who's good at making a schedule for taking care of their needs? Who can take inventory of what we have stashed in our closets and all over the place that churches do? You know, who, who can do that? They didn't ask any of those questions, did they? They said, y'all go find some, some spiritual men and you bring them to us and we're going to appoint them. So that's important when it when it comes to understanding deacons, that these are spiritual men. That's the qualifications. How many? It's not hard to do a lot of the things that, that deacons or a lot of people have to do. Sometimes you need more expertise than others. And sometimes giftedness makes them fit better in certain areas than others. But what they're, what's first priority, what's most important, is are these spiritual godly men to be appointed to this service? And that's what uh, the apostles looked for in appointing them to this task. Now, notice they were appointed to a task. So you don't appoint somebody as a deacon, and then they don't have a job to do. Servants are appointed to a duty. They're assigned to a ministry, a task to take care of. Now, let's turn to see what Paul uh, wrote about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, because we're covering 1 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, but let's look at what we see him write about in 1 Timothy 3. Look at verses 8 through 10. And Paul writes, Deacons likewise, he just got done talking about the qualifications for elders, so he says likewise, or just like, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. What do you notice about these qualifications for deacons? They sound just like the qualifications from Acts chapter 6, because they are. In other words, you go find some spiritual, godly men, and that's who you're looking for to serve in these roles. Now, there's some qualifications there that he's looking for that the apostle, inspired by God, writes that God says, yes, here's some things that you, some criteria, but essentially you're looking for godly spiritual men. Look at what he says. They need to be dignified. They're sincere, respected, thought, of, thought well of. They're not double-tongued. They don't say one thing over here to this person and then go over here and say something totally different. They're trustworthy. They're not addicted to much wine, just like the qualifications for elders. And that reminds me of Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. And so as I said about the elders, I think it's reasonable to say uh, it's not good to be addicted to anything. 
And, and so that's what Paul's talking about is, is are, they, are they addicted to stuff? Is there stuff that's going to cloud their judgment, that's going to tarnish their reputation, that's going to possibly lead them down a road that isn't good? Then, then they don't need that in their lives. They don't need that kind of stuff in their lives that's going to mess up their ability to serve that might be a stumbling block down the road. And also, they're not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, they're not lovers of money. They're not looking for uh, shamelessly chasing the dollar. Instead, what does Paul write about these faithful deacons? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Paul likes to describe things in, in, in phrases like that. And he likes to use the word, and he uses it multiple times in his letters, this idea of the gospel being a mystery, the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of faith. And later in chapter 3, he, he explains that if you want to read more about that. But what he's talking about this mystery is, is that it's something that we didn't know about and it was, it was un, unknown to us before and then later revealed to us. And what he's talking about is the gospel, is that the gospel of Jesus, what God was going to do for us, God's plan of salvation was a mystery to us and is now revealed, made known in Christ. That's what he's talking about. And so he's saying deacons need to have a firm grasp on the truth and not let go of it. They need to be strong in their faith. They need to be strong in the word of God. They need to be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we learn in verse 10 that these men need to be tested first before they're appointed. In other words, can we trust them? Elders need to ask. Uh, can, we, can we count on them? Are they dependable? Are they going to do the job? Are they, are they the kind of spiritual men that, we're, that we can put in place that are going to be a blessing to the church? Can they work well with others? Can they get along? Are they, a, are they just generally a good person to work with? Can they, can they get a team together to work with them? Will people serve with them? So those are things that need to be tested uh, with a potential deacon before they're appointed. Now, look at verse number 11. This is the one where uh, it's at the center of all the controversy about deaconesses or, or, or female deacons. And so we're going to look at this. Look what Paul writes. He says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, the Greek word, therefore, wives, is exactly the same as women. So it can be, if your translation says women, that's okay. That's a correct translation. It can say women or wives, okay? So uh, I use the ESV. It uses uh, wives. I think the New American Standard, NIV, and, and others use, uh, use women. It doesn't matter. So if you see a different word there, uh, both are sound translations. However, for those who are proponents of female deacons, they prefer it to be translated women, which again, it doesn't matter which one you use, because then it helps make that more open to be able to explain, see, here's why uh, women can serve as deacons. Well, let's, let's ask the text the question, can they? That's a good question. Nothing wrong with studying that. Let's see what we learn from Scripture. So if the word translated is translated women, which as we said it can be, then does that mean it could support women being deacons? Well, if that's the case, 
what we would see then in verses 8 through 10, Paul is addressing clearly men as deacons. No, doubt, no question about that. He's talking to men who are serving as deacons. And then we have to therefore believe that at verse 11, as he's writing, he says, oh, let me say something about women serving as deacons. And so it's, he says, women likewise must be dignified, not slandered, but slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then he's like, oh, let me get back to writing to men about being deacons. And so from 12 to 13, he goes back to that. So he has to jump in thought from male deacons to female deacons back to male deacons if we are going to say it is okay and he's teaching and supporting for women to be deacons. Does that make sense? He has to go from men to women back to men as if he's just jumping all over the place. Now, Another thing that would mean is that he's not giving very much attention to female deacons there, is he? It's just kind of a, oh, let me add this in. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me scratch a sentence out about female deacons, if that's the case. So why did he only give a few words, one line, to female deacons, if that's the case? He's written a lot about elders. He's written uh, several lines here about deacons. We see males appointed as deacons in Acts chapter 6. Why then do we just get one quick mention, if that's the case, of what it is of female deacons? That's a good question to ask. And then we can ask, well, why is it that the men, verse 12, why is it that the men have to be married and manage their household well, but if according to verse 11, women can be deacons, they don't have to be married or have a household to manage, which would tell us you could appoint an 18-year-old young adult lady, single, to be a deacon, while the man over here has to be married and manage his household well. Does that make sense? Is that a sound conclusion to the text? Well, let's look at some other things. Do you remember Phoebe in Romans 16 verse 1? Paul mentioned Phoebe and he even called her a servant. He used for her the word diakonos. He called her servant. And again, that's another text where people go to to say, see, see, she was a female deacon. Well, you can translate diakonos there with Phoebe as deacon. And, that, and, and some translations call her a deaconess there. But that then has to fit up with soundly. It has to match up with 1 Timothy chapter 3 and all of the qualifications. Now, certainly... There were vast numbers of women who were faithful, vital, essential workers and servants to the early church all the way up until today. And women will always be vitally important in the work of the church. But that does not mean that God has given a certain role or office, so to speak, called uh, uh, deaconess or to women to be deacons because it has to match up with Scripture. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church. Well, there's a lot of women and men who are servants of the church. That doesn't mean they're a deacon. And, there's a, and, and, and in a sense, could you say she serve, she's a servant, she's a deaconess? Well, you can correctly say that. However, it, you can't say it in the way that for you. Here's a time when it's important to look at, okay? In, in 
Chapter 3, verse 2, referring to overseers or elders and their qualifications, Paul uses the word episkopos, clearly referring to a designated office in the church for elders, for overseers. And they had clear responsibilities. And then we get to verses 8 and 12 and 13, and, and Paul is clearly, without a doubt, talking to men, and he's calling them diakonos. He's calling them deacons. Okay, servants, he's designated servants in the church, clearly. And then in verse 11, right in the middle of all this, Paul just uses gunaikas, which means women or wives. D do you see the point I'm making? So if, if they were deacons, if they could be officially deacons in that role, then why would he just call them women or wives and not use the word gunaika, uh, not use diakonos for deacons. Do you see the point? So when sometimes you, I just don't like rationale you might have. You can go that route. Or you can say, and by the way, you wouldn't be sound with the word of God. You wouldn't be in sync with the word of God. Or you can go over here and say, you know what? I wish it was something else. I, I wish it was another way. I, I don't like that. That just doesn't sound like that's the way it ought to be. But you know what? God is God, and I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. See, sober-minded, stable, balanced in your thinking and in your behavior, in your judgment, be self-controlled and faithful in all things. In other words, you're dependable and trustworthy, not just in your faith, not just in your children, not just in your, uh, your, your responsibility you have, but in all things, be faithful. So there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of importance placed on women in the church. But look at verse 13 as we come to a close. Verse 13, Paul writes, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul says that faithful deacons who serve well, faithful deacons, that means they're serving well, they gain two blessings, a good standing among the church. Why? Because that church sees them serving faithfully in their ministry. The congregation sees the fruits of their labor. They're, they're joining with them in their ministry. They see the work that that deacon is doing. And they see the, the results of their work. They see the impact that their service, their ministry is making in the kingdom of God. And secondly, uh, they gain confidence in the faith. In other words, when you serve well as a deacon, when you're a faithful deacon, faithful deacons gain confidence in the faith. How so? Because they get to see their work, their labor, all that extra time uh, in addition to family, in addition to work, in addition to the things that you have to do, your service in the Lord's church, and you see the fruits of your labor, you see people getting involved, you see uh, uh, people uh, growing spiritually, you see the fruit of your labor, of what you do, whether it's turning on lights, flipping switches, turning on microphones, managing money, uh, uh, bringing in new members, uh, whatever it might be, managing a directory, communion, uh, a member involvement, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, when you see the fruits of your labor, you think, man, man. Maybe I can do this. This is exciting because I'm seeing something happen because of what I'm doing. 
And, and that gets you excited. And another thing, that you gain confidence in your faith in Christ. You grow closer to Jesus because you're having to rely on him just to get this done. And you grow stronger in your faith and deeper in your knowledge and, and your love for Jesus because you see him working through you and your ministry. And that's exciting. The faithful deacons are very blessed for these two reasons. So let me ask you, what's your why? Do you remember what happened to the church as soon as uh, they appointed deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6? Stephen was soon captured right after that. Stephen was appointed as a deacon, and he was captured. And remember, he had an opportunity, and he proclaimed his faith before the high priest. And what did they do to him? They stoned him. And then uh, uh, what did Philip do? Uh, persecution broke out after Stephen, the deacon, who had just been appointed. Who th- he didn't get up before the high priest and say, I, I don't know, I just, I, just, I just helped feed widows. That's not what he did. He proclaimed his faith in Jesus. He proclaimed the gospel. And they stoned him for it. And then uh, persecution broke out in the church, and they had to scatter. Well, another guy who was appointed as a deacon, Philip, he went to Samaria Well, what does the Bible say he did when he got deacon Philip got to Samaria? Verse 5 in Acts chapter 8 tells us he proclaimed the the Christ to them. He, He went and taught them about Jesus. And do you know who he taught next? Simon the sorcerer. Children, y'all remember learning about Simon the sorcerer in Bible class? And then who did he teach the gospel next? In the same chapter, the Ethiopian eunuch. Children, do y'all remember that? Philip was a deacon appointed to take care of widows and persecution breaks out because they killed one deacon. Philip flees over here. What's he do? Nothing stops him. He's telling them about Jesus. Why? Because he knew his why. He knew his why. He knew what this was all about. He he knew, yeah, I'm happy to serve widows and help them. I'll do it out of love and and I'll do it to the best of my abilities. But it's not about that. It's not about giving them food and clothes as much as it is, is we're the church and we proclaim Christ. That's what this is about. And he understood his why behind his task, behind what he did. So whatever a deacon does, There's a why behind it, and the why is because of the gospel is to proclaim Christ in whatever we might do. So somehow, in some way, a deacon is appointed by elders to assist elders to facilitate the work of the church. Why? Because we proclaim Christ, the great commission and the great commandment. And what happened? Look at verse number 7. What happened? And the the word of God, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You see, when when they focused on preaching and prayer and teaching, and the deacons focused on serving, and they understood the big idea behind it, and they understood what they were uh, doing, the church grew. Why? Because people were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and they understood the reason behind it all, that it was to proclaim Christ and more people came to Christ. The why behind what deacons do is the same why that every Christian has. It's the same why we should all have that should motivate all of us to serve. 
We, we all have the same why. Some might be appointed in a role as a deacon, but we all have the same why no matter what it is that we do. The, what is the why of your life? The why of your life, the why of the, the, the life of a Christian is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to glorify Him in our lives. We all have the same why. Do you live for that reason? Is that the point of your life? Is that the why of your existence? Is that the purpose of your life? Everyone talking about chasing my purpose, my destiny. The Christian says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live, then it's going to be fruitful labor, Paul wrote, for Jesus. That's the point. That's the why. That's our purpose. Have you become a Christian according to the New Testament? Have you said, I I believe the gospel of Jesus and that's what I want to live for. I want to obey that gospel and I'll be baptized into Christ, put on Christ, forgiven of my sins, receive the Holy Spirit and live my life for him because I get the why of what he did for me. Maybe you've gotten off track and you hadn't been too dedicated to that why, that purpose in your life and you want prayers. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.